Welcome to the Benito Juarez Experience. I am Juan Navarro Rivera. And I am Luciano Gonzalez. Recently, the Pew Research Center Religion in Public Life Project released a report based on their 2014 Religious Landscape Survey. And in their report, they explored the relationship between education and religion. It was a really interesting report, and among their major findings were that fewer college, college graduates pray regularly and say that religion is very important in their lives. However, college graduates and those who didn't graduate from college reported that they attended religious services at similar rates. Part of this has to do with that college-educated Christians are about as observant as Christians with less education, and not surprisingly, that very few religious knowns or secular Americans have high levels of religious commitment. So the topic we're going to be discussing today is the role of education and secularism, and particularly because these particular report uh, from Pew challenges some of our assumptions uh, as a secular community in which we praise and we talk a lot about the role of education in increasing the ranks of the non-religious, but these seems to, this report seems to give uh, some basically mixed results in that regard. And I don't know what you think about that, Tosian. Uh, I think that the wording, one of the things that I thought was very interesting about the report was the wording because very early on, it's a, something that I think is very important that we acknowledge and probably have a little bit of a conversation about. In the second paragraph of the main article that we're going to be using today, it mentions that some of the ways that higher education um, works with lower levels of religious commitment is belief in God and how often people pray. But interestingly, it notes that Americans with college degrees report attending religious services as often as Americans with less education. As Latinos, I think that this is something that we're probably a little bit familiar with because I, I have had experiences with my family where from time to time they'll try to get me to go to church even though they know that I'm an atheist. And I'm sure that you've probably had some of the same experiences happen to you, haven't you? Uh, no, because people don't do that to me anymore. But maybe at some point they did. But I think you you hit something really important in here, and it's these you know these differences between belief and behavior, and it got me thinking. I think three of my colleagues over time have actually mentioned these and have published about this to some extent. Uh, not about Latinos in, in particular, but about the non-religious. Americans in education. So my my former boss and, and mentor Barry Kaufman wrote a piece uh, a few years back on really uh, secularism or atheism and the intelligentsia, and kind of making this argument that you know these lower levels of belief in God in particular were higher among the highly educated. Uh, my colleague and his longtime writing uh, partner and co-author. Uh, Ariela Kaysar was making the argument for a, for for a while that and found evidence for this that 
people who identified as, a, as agnostics these, using the American Religious Identification Survey were more likely, uh, so had higher levels of education than even atheists, and, and she makes this, this argument that it had to do, you know, that their higher levels of education basically meant that they have a little more sophisticated language. And more recently, my other, uh, former colleague at, at Public Religion Research Institute, Dan Katz, wrote a piece, I believe, for the Huffington Post, and I'll, I'll find the link and put it in the, in, in the show page, uh, also making this argument that maybe atheism was a thing for the, you know, for the elites. But and I, I think there's, there's some truth to that, but at the same time, you know, if we look at the country, like most of the people are Christian still, like this is at least demographically a Christian nation, if not necessarily legally, though maybe President Trump may may change that. But also at the same time that you know the, these, the United States is ruled by a Christian elite anyway. So it's not like that when we're thinking about the rise of secularism that it's just driven by education, or at least I, I don't think that may be the case. I think that what you touched on is very important. One of the things I thought was interesting that you said was that you talked about people who, um, the people who have the highest levels of identification, the people with the highest levels of education are actually agnostics, which I thought was very interesting because on a, a, like, at least in the Bible Belt, there are plenty of people who don't even know what agnosticism is. I was speaking with an acquaintance of mine the other day who works at my university, and she was telling me about like her beliefs. I was asking her questions about her level of knowledge, and I told her that my girlfriend's an agnostic, and she je- she had never heard that word before. So I think that's very interesting that apparently the people with the highest levels of education are agnostics, and that's paraphrasing what you said, obviously, but that was the way that I heard it. So that's something that I never knew before. No, and I think there's also, you know, when we think uh, about the language that we use, uh, it's very related to education, and and I think in several ways, not only in that sense in which maybe some certain segments of the population, particularly secular population, have a more sophisticated language of talking about their lack of religious beliefs, but also in terms of how people are free to express those. And by that, I mean that we, have, we are in many of the same circles uh, in social media. And every once in a while, we see the, the survey. Usually, it's a Gallup survey that shows that you know, atheists are the least liked group in the United States. Uh, we're challenging now Muslims, so we're like head to head at this at this point. Uh, but but that also means that the people who identify with these labels certainly have a level of security, probably social and economic security, that most people don't have. And so we are all um, at least in self-identification, atheism in particular is going to have a. a high education and high status bias just because of that. That's an interesting point that you bring up, especially because it's not something that many people on the other side have thought about. 
And one of the things that I mean by on the other side is I mean people who are believers. Oftentimes when they talk about atheism, they, they're more than capable of acknowledging the link that appears to exist between education and various forms of a religion, whether it's atheism or agnosticism, but they don't often talk about other things that correlate with that. They don't often talk about the level of wealth commonly obtained by non-believers, for instance. And that's something that you and I know and we've talked about. Specifically, um, I remember when Mayor Ivy Taylor of San Antonio got her five minutes of fame. That was something that we talked about. And I think it's important that people realize that the education gap isn't just an education gap. Usually people with more education have higher paying jobs. They have more access to Social Security. They're, for them, life tends to be easier even if the process of getting an education wasn't easy. For clarity's sake, what we were talking about Ivy Taylor was a post that you wrote uh, for the Latino uh, about the mayor of San Antonio in a forum or a debate. I don't remember what was it. Uh, it was a forum. Basically ta uh, blaming atheists for poverty in, in San Antonio was something like that. Did you can explain better because you wrote it. Yeah. So the mayor of San Antonio was at a forum where she was talking about the importance of faith leaders in, their in San Antonio. So the context of it makes it seem not quite as bad. But basically what she said is she was asked about um, what she thought the worst causes of generational poverty were. And she said that she thought atheism, she didn't say atheism explicitly, but she said a lack of having a relationship with your creator, which everyone knows is a way of saying non-believers, but it's also a way of saying anyone who's not Christian, which obviously when you look at the statistics doesn't really correlate. There's no, there's no reason to suspect that if you're a non-believer, you are more poor than anyone else. You're not necessarily going to be wealthy, but you're not going to be poor if you look at it in terms of pure statistics. Precisely, and, and that actually leads me to another set of statistics, thinking about statistics, education, and, and secular Americans, in particular the atheists, that is another number that circulates around, which is the, the fact that very few atheists are in prison. Uh, people in our community like to brag about that number, but that also means it tells you more about the kind of people who are process in our criminal justice system that it tells you about criminality among atheists. Uh, it basically, you know, our criminal justice system is one that is very racialized and of course African and particularly African American or Latinos who are especially African Americans highly religious populations and of course with this relationship between economic status uh, and religion certainly there's going to be a high relation, you know, a strong relationship between at least being nominally religious or, or having a religious identification and being in prison. And so we, we shouldn't extrapolate too much into thinking that, you know, we're morally better than many people in that regard. And also what we define as crimes, right? If, if, if the war on drugs had never happened, you know, our rates of incarceration and the people 
who are in prison or, or who would be in prison for, for like real violent crimes or, or other types of crimes uh, would look very different from what it looks today. And of course, changing police, uh, policing uh, strategies and, and methods. So I mean, there's more than meets the eye. And so we, we shouldn't well, strive too much. One of the things that I think is that generally, I don't see people on our side sharing these statistics too often. And I think there are a variety of reasons for this. But one of the main ones is that I don't think that we take these statistics very seriously. One of the things that's important to know here is that oftentimes people who aren't on people who aren't non-believers say very negative things about non-believers. Uh, and it's not just here, it's in Latin America as well. A very recent example is in Colombia. Um, one of the one of the politicians came out as an atheist, and because of this, another politician, another very high-ranking politician, said that he was promoting a culture of death, and that by coming out of the closet as an atheist, that there are a whole bunch of negative things that you can see from that about the government, which is of course ridiculous. But we shouldn't. I hope people aren't listening to this podcast thinking that we are thinking that these statistics really matter. They don't, but they're important for clarity's sake. So wait a second. So we're talking about the, a culture of death. So we're a culture of death. I, 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 I thought the guys who had like a like a dead guy in 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 a cross everywhere were Christians, but. Uh, that that is something that I noted when I was writing about this, but it's it's ridiculous. And the thing is, the person who said this was a high-ranking government official. He was Colombia's inspector general for seven years, and the person who revealed that he was an atheist is Colombia's current health minister, who's also apparently seeking to increase the number of legal abortions that happen every year. He's trying to, like, decriminalize it more and more because in Colombia there are limited contexts in which abortion is legal. But it's, it's interesting to note because we're talking about the sorts of claims that non-believer or that believers often make, not the sorts of claims that non-believers make. Okay. So, anyway, so, you know, the reason I want to, uh, to talk about these particular subjects before and, and it's that one of the things that it's missing, going, you know, we want to head back to the subject at hand, uh, after this beautiful digression. It's that one of the things that is missing in this Pew report and that it's very important for, for the scope of this show is the role of race, education, and religion. And particularly for our community, you know, the non-religious community, I think it's important to bear in mind that a lot of the growth in secularism, although in you know in reality it's certainly higher rates of education in general in the United States uh, have happened over time, and we can you know make some links to that in terms of how uh, the secular community has also grown. A lot of it has also happened among people of color. Uh, and you know, if, and I'm going to share some numbers from Pew in the post uh, of this 
particular uh, of this show when we go public that basically show that in a particular Latinos, African Americans who are an increasing number of non-religious population also tend to have like lower levels of college uh, degrees, like the graduations. And and I think oftentimes we sound very elitist and and thinking that you know having a college degree is kind of like the end all of religion, like just and that, that that college education is gonna make give you something that it's gonna make you disbelieve in God. And I think we have a very very elitist view of, of college education and, and I think a very distorted view of what most people do in college. And and actually I would like to hear your opinion because you I mean I have my opinions and I'll I'll share them. Uh but I would like to hear what you say mostly because your college experience is much more recent uh, than mine, and I want to take this moment to congratulate Luciano, who at the time of this recording is about to graduate from college. Yeah. Um, so first, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, so I'm a little bit worried because, in my opinion, I'm kind of a stereotypical atheist when it comes to this. Because not only was I raised in Latin America, I was also raised in the Bible Belt, and I even went to two Christian schools. Uh, At the time of this recording, I will have just finished recording another podcast a few days ago where I talk about my experience with religion and my story in detail. If If that podcast comes out before this one, I'll probably link it. But I attended Christian schools. I attended Christian schools both in the United States and in Latin America, and I came to college, and then I became an atheist because of the education that I received. So when people in the Bible Belt tell their children, oh, no, if you go to public schools, if you go to a public university, you're going to become an atheist, I'm actually kind of the person that they're thinking about. But I don't think that it's necessarily something that has to do with college I think it's just the more things that you learn, the less likely you are to be religious, which is kind of arrogant sounding, but that is what happened with me. In my experience, that statement holds true. Thank you. And I think that there's some truth to that. You know, certainly your experience, but I I think your experience, it's more typical than people think because your degree is is not... uh, it's not on physics. It's not on biology. It's in history anthropology. Yep. Exactly. So, I, I think we as a community have a lot of uh, an obsession with hard sciences. Uh, and in reality, I actually looked up the National Center for Education Statistics at the graduation data since 1971 to 2015 of you know, degrees granted in the United States. In this case, I, I chose undergraduate degrees because most of the people with a, with a higher education have a, just a, a college bachelor's degree. Uh, fewer people have master's or professional degrees and, and fewer have PhDs. So I just look at that. Uh, and, you know, in those 45 years, what, that, what the difference between 1971, the period 1971-75 to 2011-2015, I pulled those uh, two 
periods of five years, the number or the proportion of people who graduate with physics and math degrees has declined, and it was never very high. It was 2% two, 2%, uh, for each in 1971, 1975, and now it's about 1%. Uh, the percentage of people who graduated with degrees in education, this is very important, uh, has also gone down significantly. And this is very important because basically we're educating fewer teachers. Uh, and the biology degrees have stayed even at 5%. What has increased actually uh, over that time has been the people who graduate in businesses, in business with business degrees, which are now about one in five graduates in the United States graduate with a business degree. And the reason I mention this is because basically most people who go to school don't really, I mean, who go to college, that's what I mean when I say go to school, like depending on their curriculum and now that curriculum are becoming more specialized in terms of your discipline. And and I, 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 I talk about this compared like when I was teaching at the University of Connecticut looking at their general requirements curriculum and what I took 20 years before at the University of Puerto Rico, it's very different. Like I had a rather a, a much wider humanistic and, and scientific education in terms of general requirements than what my students had to take uh, 15 years after I graduated from college. As, as secularists and, and the importance we give to education, we actually have to care a lot about curriculums and, and what is happening. That we're treating now, at least as a society, we're treating education and college education as a glorified vocational education to find a job. And I think for many people in the secular community, it actually means something as a means to enlightenment. Uh, and those two visions are, you know, that vision and the reality are actually clashing with each other. I think that that's a very important point to make because I feel, I'm, I'm trying to think of how many science courses I had to take and how many general education courses I had to take. I actually had to take a good number of my courses which were general education as opposed to my two specific degrees. And I think that that's, I think that that's a very interesting point to make. At my university, we aren't focused on finding specific jobs. A lot of our, most of our degrees aren't very specific. My history degree was very open-ended when I came here. I don't know if it's going to continue this way in the future. We have a new director of our department. He's only been the director for two years. He's a good friend of mine. He is our professor of Latin American studies. Um, specialty is Mexican history. He's a pretty cool guy. Um, so for me, it's very interesting to hear this perspective and to talk about it. Oh, most of my courses were general education. I think almost half of them, as opposed to, because I only had to take 45 degrees, or I only had to take 45 total credits out of 122 to get my major and my minor. So I'm wondering what sort of, a, of an effect this is going to have in the future as more people gain more general education at universities. I wonder if this is going to affect their religious views because my science courses were some of the courses that got me interested 
and learning more about religion and theology. Growing up, I graduated from a Catholic high school, although I was known as that kid who didn't take the, the religion part very seriously. And I actually, for a long time, thought that people didn't take that stuff seriously and that they just, like, we're just passing time. Uh, even though I like the language, uh, you know, that this is why that comment uh, uh, that Ariela, my former colleague Ariela Kayser, mentioned about agnosticism resonates a lot with me, is that I didn't like, I didn't have the language to to express what I was thinking about God and religion uh, at, at that time. But as you know, as I went to college and I learned. And I had a very humanistic education. I had to take like two years of uh, world history, one year of physics, one year of biology. So you know, I started acquiring the the the, the language that I that I needed uh, to reflect that. And then years later, when they invented this thing called the Facebook, and I reconnect with a lot of people from high school. I realized that people were believing in this actually, in this kind of stuff, which uh, was amazing to me. You know, going back to Pew, Pew's report and, and their lack of racial analysis, the other thing that I find important why we need to mention this uh, and, and, and what I want to get out of this podcast today is also the fact that you know, there's major gaps in, in education in this country that affect people of color. Uh, and so we, you know, if, if we really think education as a, as, as a community, as a secular community, we think education, particularly higher education, is the way of, you know, improve our numbers, certainly, and, and to lead, uh, you know, to a better country, we actually need to expand that access. Uh, uh, you know, fight to expand access to education. We need to be a little less elitist and realize that our ranks are filling up with a lot of people that have a lot of doubts about religion, but don't necessarily feel safe enough, either socially safe in terms of admitting that they're atheists to, to their probably very homogeneous communities in which most people at least are nominally religious and mostly nominally Christian. Uh, but also in terms of you know, getting the intellectual and economic security to actually being able to live a, a sacred life. That is a really important, that's a really important point that I don't think enough religious people talk about. And one of the reasons that I think that that's a very important point is that I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the idea that higher, that more education leads to irreligion because I know plenty of anomalies to that. And of course there's always going to be anomalies, but without race, it's without an analysis of race and how it plays into all of this, it's really difficult to showcase that explicitly because, but that's going to be challenging for certain groups. Like for Hispanics, it's very difficult to get accurate numbers of how many of us are going to college, how many of us are staying in college, how many of us are actually graduating every year. And that's going to make those a very difficult thing to study. That's very true. I've seen numbers all over the place, like some saying that, you know, 
Latinos, more Latinos are going to college. I think part of that has to do with the fact that there are more Latinos. Uh, and but but I think we we certainly need to work on on retention, right? You know, most Latino kids growing up nowadays don't don't come from wealthy families. Uh, many people in our communities justifiably are very debt averse, and now the only way that you can finance your education it's through loans. So, you know, we're having a major student loan crisis in this country right now. So I think as as secularists, we we need to think about our public policy priorities and how we, we should, you know, we, we convert our values and goals into real public policies and and basically, you know, help create the world that we want and not wish it. Uh, and, and, and this is one aspect in which the religious right has been very good at in terms of, you know, they, they, could, they could actually pray for this stuff to happen, but they're actually very good at acquiring power. And, and we are the people who are obsessed with reason, but somehow we're wishing that we had power and, and we don't do much in terms of, of, of acquiring it. That's definitely true. It's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting period in time to watch more and more non believers get involved in various methods of acquiring power, such as not only getting an education but also actually running for office and winning in a few cases, as we know, there are atheist politicians in the House of Representatives. I don't know if there are any in... I think that there might be one in the Senate, but I'm not entirely sure. I don't think there's anybody in the Senate. Like, there, so there's the, the two bigger names in Congress right now are Kristen Cinnamon in Arizona, who is a non... what, what she called herself... A, a non-theist, but not really an atheist. Uh, there is, and then there is Jamie Rasking in Maryland, who uh, it's basically a humanist, a Jewish humanist, or uh, humanistic Jew, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so basically, a secular, you know, secular Jew, uh, but. Uh, there's not that many anymore. Uh, Pete Stark was defeated in 2012, who was the first openly non-believer in Congress in a while. And he actually wasn't denominationally a atheist because he belonged to a Unitarian church. Uh, and then in the Senate, I don't think there's anybody who has said anything. There's Bernie, Bernie Frank, uh, who... Who, interestingly, and this is one of the interesting things about atheism in this country, like Barney Frank, I believe, was the first openly gay member of Congress back right. in the 80s. The but person he, he that I was thinking of was Juan Mendez, who... Oh, but he's in the Arizona Senate. Senate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he, just, he just moved up to the Arizona Senate. I believe, actually, 
the old seat held by Christian Cinema. And now, so you know, but but going back to Barney Frank, like Barney Frank was, felt safer back in the eighties to be an uh, openly gay person in politics, but he didn't admit that he was an atheist until he retired from office. And these are the challenges that we have to deal with. The same with Cinema, who is the first openly bisexual member of Congress. So she is happy to mention that, but she has, she doesn't, she, she basically waffles on the question of, of her religious identification. It's, it's understandable. It's frustrating, but it's understandable. One of the things, I feel like one of the main things that we need to do is not just get atheists to run for office, but actually get atheists out to vote. I feel like that would be a big help because the main people who are not going to be bothered by the fact that they're voting for a non-religious politician are probably non-religious voters. Well, I mean, I think, I, but also at the same time that, I mean, to wrap this up and, and, and probably wrap the show up, uh, I, I think part, you know, with the way that Congress is gerrymandered, most districts, I I think there's several few safe districts where secular people can run. Uh, I would think in Barney Frank's old district in Boston, it's one of them. I would say that Pete Stark's old district near Berkeley is one of them. So there are certain pockets where an openly atheist uh, candidate can run well. I would say actually another district that is pretty safe for a secular person is my own district, which is now held by uh, Jamie Raskin, uh, which is you know the, the suburbs of Maryland. So, so I think there are several places, but I, I, I think most importantly is to develop uh, candidates in a pipeline you know, at the local level. Arizona has been very good at that. Uh, and and there's, you know, there's some organization going on, the Freedom uh, Equality, the Free Equality Pack, which I, which I interviewed Ron Millar uh, for the Secular Nation podcast, and I'm going to actually link to this. Uh, but I think going back and wrap it up with the aspect of education, one of the easiest offices to kind of hold is uh, the school boards. Uh, you know, it's very cheap to run in them. Uh, you probably don't need that many votes because in local elections, not that many people vote. And I think it's secular organizations at the local level could do a very good job in rallying people around. Uh, in local politics and actually get into some of these spaces that, you know, are low turnout and where like a very well organized uh, community can actually run away with, with a lot. And it's a great, excellent training ground uh, for eventually not just winning office at the local level, but running and, and getting some political careers really getting started. I think that's a really good way to go about it. 
I know that another thing that people who are interested in politics who are non-believers can do is that they can run to become members they can run to become members of their state executive committee of whatever party they're in because atheists aren't just democrats they're also republican atheists they're green party atheists i've heard that they're libertarian atheists but i don't know that i've met any uh so yeah you should hang out with me uh <laughs> i met many but no yes and you know so so to close uh this show uh you know basically you know we we have to rethink of you know what 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 kind of vision you know that that vision that we have as atheists of our importance of education and kind of how we're going to shape that society that we want in which education it's an important tenet not just of public policy guiding public policy but also you know guiding our population not not just like secular people but the american population in general and and so you know we basically need to come up with a better political political organizing and and i think that's a that's a subject for a, for for a future show <laughs> yeah i don't know if you agree with me on that one i think that that's definitely something that we should devote a whole show to but anyway thank you for listening uh please remember subscribe to the podcast is in itunes uh like it in facebook follow us on twitter and please review it please a good review of course in iTunes and or your favorite application thank you for listening this was Juan Navarro Rivera and Luciano Gonzalez